Welcome to the Faith Lighthouse Church message of the week. We hope that you enjoy this teaching. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mylighthouse.church. Again, as I said, we're, we're going to be concluding our Nehemiah series today. We're going to, uh, to go through quickly uh, the, the final few chapters uh, as we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story. But just to kind of recap a little bit where we have been, we, we see that, that God has stirred in the heart of Nehemiah. Uh, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that, that, that Nehemiah heard that, that the, the temple had been rebuilt, that the law was being proclaimed, but, but the walls had not been rebuilt. And he was saddened by the news and, and he spends time mourning and fasting and praying. And, and God had stirred his heart to go back and to rebuild the walls. And this was no easy task. It took courage and boldness for Nehemiah to do this. He was the king's cupbearer. And for him to even go and request this of the king took a lot of uh, courage. It took boldness for him to do that. And, and, and oftentimes, when God stirs something in our heart, it means that we need to have a little bit of courage. We need to have a little bit of boldness. That uh, it, it may be something that people think that we can't even accomplish. We don't even think that we can accomplish it. But Nehemiah was up to the challenge and up to the task. And, 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 and the, the king granted his request. And, and so he goes back to Jerusalem and, and he begins the rebuilding process. And, and everything was wonderful. Everything went smoothly. Right? No, wrong. As in our lives, everything seemed to just come against him. That, that, that God stirred on his heart to do this. And so if God calls me to do it, it means it's going to be easy. Wrong. It means that you're going to face challenge. There's going to be opposition. People were openly opposing what they were doing. And, and they were mocking them. And, 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 and you name it. But even coming against them forcefully. But one of the key parts that, that, I, that I want to touch on that, that, I, that we talked about last week was the idea that as they were rebuilding the wall, that it was important for them to sound the alarm, that when the enemy attacked them, they blew a trumpet to signal to everybody else that I need help, that I'm in trouble. And it's important that we, as believers, as followers of Christ, that we not go through this life alone. When God has called us to do things, that we not try to do them on our own accord. That we obviously have the the help of God, but the help of each other to do it. And when we're under attack and something is going on, sound the alarm. Tell somebody, I need help. Don't try to do it on your own. Far too many people say, I've got it under control. I can do it. Everybody else is busy. Their lives are too chaotic. No, sound the alarm so people can come to your aid. And we see that that was a very significant part of the rebuilding process. Today I want to jump ahead a little bit to to, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. And again, just to give a little bit of context, we're moving ahead in the story that the walls have been rebuilt, but not only have they been rebuilt, but they've been rebuilt in a, a timeline that nobody could imagine. In under two months, the walls have been rebuilt. Now think about that for just a moment. The, the walls had been destroyed for almost a century, and in less than two months, they've been rebuilt. That is amazing. That is the hand of God on that. Now, some commentators say that it took longer than that, and it took upwards of two years with all of the other things taking place to beautify the walls and all that. But the the, the basic structure of the wall in less than two months had been restored after God stirred Nehemiah's heart, got the vision, got it all together, and then, bam, it's all together. And we often sometimes see the big picture. Oh, my gosh, it's going to take forever. We're never going to get it completed. And God says, no, 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 no. It's going to be the t- I'm going to speed up the timeline. Things will go a whole lot faster. When we have the plan, the purpose, and the vision, things can be done for God's kingdom in time frames that we cannot sometimes imagine. They had, a lot of over- they had a lot of adversity to overcome. They had a lot of obstacles they had to overcome. 
The walls had been destroyed. The gates had been burned down. But now the walls are standing. The gates have been restored. And it's time to celebrate. So let's look to, to Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those, uh, to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites claimed all the people saying, uh, calmed all the people by saying, be still, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, again, context, because we moved ahead in the story. The people were, were mourning because they had heard the word of the law, that they had heard the word spoken for the first time. And, and they were hearing this and they were sad and they were mourning because they were remorseful. That they heard the words of the covenant, the law, and they realized we haven't been doing what the word said we're supposed to do. We're living a completely opposite life. And, and they're mourning that, that they had broken this covenant with God. Yet Ezra and Nehemiah, remember Ezra is still a part of this. Ezra and Nehemiah tell the people it's not a time to be sad. It's a time to celebrate, to be full of joy. Well, wait a second. They just realized that, that they had been breaking the law. And, and so that means that they've been living in sin. So that means that they should be mourning. That they should be upset. They should be sad. And yet, verse 10 is probably a very familiar passage to you. And a very familiar part if you've been around church for any length of time. And it says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, again, they're hearing this word. And Ezra and Nehemiah are trying to get the people to realize it's not a day of mourning. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of celebration because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, the word strength in Hebrew means stronghold or place of refuge or fortress. This is the only time in Scripture that we see this word translated to strength in Nehemiah chapter 8. Meaning this verse could be translated just a little bit differently with that light. The, the joy of the Lord is our refuge. The joy of the Lord is our refuge. The joy of the Lord, we can find refuge in God's joy. Well, what is God joyful? What is God rejoicing over? God is rejoicing over his children coming back to him. They were mourning. They were upset. They were sorrowful because they realized we have broken the covenant. We have broken the command. And Ezra and Nehemiah say, no, go back. This is a day for celebration because God is rejoicing over you. You've turned back to him. You are now in relationship with him. You see the error of your way. Now celebrate. Don't live in mourning. This is a day to, to, to rejoice and that God, in fact, is rejoicing over you. God rejoices in us. God rejoices in his children. My children drive me nuts sometimes. But I still rejoice over them. I still love them. I still care about them. We sin. We're human beings. We live in a sinful world. There's no doubt about that. And when we disobey God, there is sorrow. There should be a level of sorrow. There should be a level of mourning that I have done something wrong. But... We should not live there. 
We see this in the gospel that God loves us so very much he delights when we come back to him. Think of the story of the prodigal son. He leaves. What does the father do when he comes back home? Get out of here. Get out of my sight. You scoundrel. Where did that come from? It's not a word I use often. I'm getting old, people. I guess that's what it is. Yikes. It's my birthday. Forgive me. I have grace on my birthday. The father doesn't tell him to go away. The father says, what does the father do? Let's throw a party. What is he doing? He's rejoicing in the fact that the son has come home. That's what God does when we realize the error of our ways and we come back to him, he rejoices. Ezra and Nehemiah are encouraging the people, today is not a day of mourning, today is a day of rejoicing. Go to God, your refuge. He is your strength. He is your stronghold. He is rejoicing over you today. You have may, may have grown up living and believing that God is a vengeful God, that all he wants to do is strike down punishment on you for all the terrible things that you've done wrong. Well, according to his word, he rejoices when we return to him are there consequences to our apps our actions yes wholeheartedly when my kids do something that is wrong there are actions to their consequences but when they ask for forgiveness what do i do i rejoice and i welcome them back in that's the same thing god does for us it's a powerful reminder that even though we have sinned we can find refuge in god because he rejoices when we return to him we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in condemnation. We don't have to live in sadness because of our sins. There is a time for mourning. There is a time of reflection and sadness over, I cannot believe that I made that mistake. But we take refuge in him when we learn from those mistakes. God doesn't want us to stay in our past sins. God doesn't want us to keep paying penance Penance for those sins. He wants us to move on, to realize the error of our ways and move forward to find refuge in him. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah are trying to get. Move forward. Don't stay in mourning and sadness. Celebrate. Let's rejoice in what God is doing. Celebrate what God has done. What good is it to do to keep crying and mourning over the things that you've done? In your, can you change that? Can you change your past? I haven't found anybody that's been able to yet. If somebody has invented a time machine and is able to go back, sign me up because there's a lot of mistakes that I would love to go back and fix. But I can't. Nobody has. They're in the past. Let's move forward. God wants us to move forward. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us and we have to realize that in that moment that we have sinned and asked for forgiveness and move on to find our refuge in Him. Jesus' invitation has always been Repent and believe. Turn away. But what is repentance? I, I like this, this, this idea of repentance. To change one's way, the view of repentance means to change one's way of life as a result of complete change of thought toward and, and attitude with regard to righteousness. Let me say that again. To change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regards to righteousness. That that's what repentance is. That, that, that in other words, that we're changing our minds towards sins. That's what repentance is. Which leads to a change of behavior. 
When we repent of our our sins, we're saying, I'm changing my mind. I'm not doing the things that I used to do. And because of that, now it's resulting in a different behavior. I'm not going to continue to do the things that I used to do. If you you ask for forgiveness and keep doing the same things and you have the same thought towards us, is that really repentance? No. It's just, I got sorry that I got caught. Repentance is the transformation of our mind to realize what I did, what I said, my actions were wrong. I'm turning from that. I'm changing my actions and my behaviors. That's repentance. Sometimes we get We get confused on what repentance may be. But if we really repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness, we understand that's a change of thought. It's a change of behavior. Repentance doesn't have to be this negative thing, this negative connotation. And and I think sometimes that's how we view it. Is that if we are to repent, that it means that that we... Sometimes we view it in this context. That maybe on movies or TVs, you know, Christians are never put in good light. I mean, that's just the reality of it. That, that we're hateful, terrible people, and, you know, you see people with, you know, uh, banners and signs, you know, turn or burn and all those other, you know, crazy things like that. Are there people like that? Yes, there are. But does that demonstrate every believer? Absolutely not. There's every segment of people that are represented by people who are crazy, okay? And so that's just the reality of it. But you see those signs, people, turn or burn, all those things, that... Now, that's not the right approach to, to repent and turn. Or you're, Okay, the, the idea behind that, I guess, is sound. That if you don't turn from your sins, if you don't repent, then you are going to, quote, unquote, burn. Because you're separated from God forever. And eventually, you'll be thrown into the, the lake of fire. With it. Well, That's down the road. That's, that's the, the idea and what should be getting the point to people is to turn away from our sins, to change our behavior, not scare people out of hell, but change our behavior and run to a loving God who cares about us. It's changing the viewpoint to realize God rejoices when we turn from him, when we return to him and, and see the error of our ways. The people were repenting, but they were sad. And Nehemiah is telling them, to, it's time to move on. It's time to celebrate. Don't live in your past. Change your, your thought process. Change your behavior. Run to God because he's right there for you, waiting on you, rejoicing over you. It's a good thing as we move forward. God doesn't want to stay in the past. So it's a point that we realize my behavior is wrong, that I'm living outside of God's commands for my life, to change my behavior, change my actions. That's repentance. And everything was fine from that day forward. That the people repented of their sins. They rejoiced and all was well. And they lived happily ever after. Nope, that's not. I hear a couple of you laughing. You've read ahead. You know what's going on. That's not how, that's how we want the story to finish. That's how we want it to finish, right? That they rebuilt the walls. They, They turned from their sins. They celebrated. They rejoiced and all was well. And they lived happily ever after. Well, let's turn to chapter 13. That's not how the story ends. Chapter 13 may seem like a bit anticlimactic. As we go through and we see the restoration of the the walls, chapter 13 we see that things have taken a turn. Nehemiah has to go back to the king. He's the king's cupbearer. The king allows him to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, but eventually he has to go back. He has to go back and, 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 and do his, his service to the king. But when he gets back to Jerusalem, after serving the king, 
He sees that things are not how he left them. That the people that were celebrating and rejoicing that the walls were rebuilt, that the temple had been restored, that the reading of the law was was all around them, that they were doing what God had called them to do. He went back to Jerusalem and found they had gone back to their old ways. We see that the temple was neglected. The temple that that they were rejoicing that had been rebuilt is now being neglected. The the teaching of the law that the the, the people were supposed to, to bring food to the Levites and to the musicians so the Levites and the musicians could tend to the temple and do what they were supposed to. And the people were no longer bringing the food to the temple so that the Levites and the priests and the, the musicians could do their job. So now the people that were supposed to be in charge of the temple are going out to, to work to provide for their food and for, for themselves. And so they couldn't do their job taking care of the temple. So the temple has, has fallen into shambles. The law had become neglected. The people were breaking the Sabbath again. They even set up what we would consider, kind of in your mind, a flea market. And they were were doing this on the temple, on the Sabbath. All of these things that they just celebrated and realized what we were doing was wrong. Now they've gone back to their old way. And Nehemiah goes back and he's not pleased. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 17. I rebuked. Okay, he's upset. All right. That's that's strong terminology. He was mad. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and to the city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Nehemiah was upset, he was frustrated. How quickly they went back to their old ways. We were celebrating. We we were rejoicing. God was rejoicing over the fact that we had turned from our ways, but now you've gone back. This is not how we want the story to end. We don't want to see Nehemiah upset. We don't want to see him rebuking the people. The Ezra and Nehemiah story starts with great hope. God's stirring their hearts, stirring them to do something great. Yes, they come against opposition, but they, they, they face it and they overcome the obstacles and they restore the temple, the teaching of the law. The walls have been rebuilt and so everything should be wonderful. The people should stand and, and not go back to their old ways, but they do. That's how I know the Bible is true. Like what? How? Because it would be very easy to leave chapter 13 out. Think about that. If, if we were trying to whitewash the Bible or trying to make everything look, this shows that, that this is real stuff. Because there's stuff in our lives that we want to whitewash that we don't want people to know about. So we, as a pastor, I know that typically when I hear people's stories, I get the, the G-rated version. I don't get the full story. It's after I talk to somebody who knows somebody who's a family member of somebody, I get the real story. That I get the G or the PG-rated story. That we don't want people to know all the things that we've done or, or we're ashamed of the things that we're... And I get that. I understand that. And so it would be very easy to take chapter 13 and say, we're not going to talk about chapter 13. But it's important to see that, that, it's, that it's true, it's accurate, that unfortunately our lives follow the same pattern. Ezra and Nehemiah, the story is such great hope, but yet it ends with such an anticlimactic, what is wrong with you people We can't ignore the fact that God was still in the middle of all of this. 
That even though it did not happen the way that I'm sure Ezra and Nehemiah wanted it to happen, that they did not do the things that they were supposed to do, that God used Ezra and Nehemiah for a purpose and for a plan to bring the people of God back to Jerusalem, to, to not only survive the oppression that they were under, but not just once, but twice, multiple times, but they still endured through all the hardship, through all the difficulty. Through all of this, prophecy was spoken that a Messiah was going to come. That, that God was on the move, that God had a plan for everything. From the line of Abraham, a son of David, a Messiah would be born. Chapter 13 is not how I want the story to end. But God still had a plan. Even though ne Nehemiah was frustrated, why have they turned back to their ways and even saying... You don't you realize that the destruction that we were under, the reason why we were exiled because you're doing the things that we God still had a plan. There was still a purpose in all of this. And it may have not made sense to everyone. And Nehemiah, I'm sure, was struggling with this. God, what is going on? I did this. You stirred my heart. I was bold. I was courageous. I, I, I stood up against the enemy. We did all these things. We saw great success. And now the people have turned back. What is wrong? Was it even worth it? What was the point of it all? How many times have we in our lives, in our work with God, have felt the same thing? God, I poured in. I, I, I believed. I, I gave everything I had. I trusted. I obeyed. Blood, sweat, tears. And this is what I'm left with? What is wrong with this picture? You promised. You had something greater. There was, what am I missing? God was still at work. There was still a greater plan in, in motion that not everyone could see in that moment. God was still in control. I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will, continue, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There is a plan set into motion of a Messiah to come. The people had to come back to Jerusalem. They had to be restored for all of those dominoes to fall into place. Yes, the people turned. Yes, the people rebelled once again. But God still had his plan. Because of what took place, because of the people coming back together and not scattered all over the known world, they had a homeland. They were back. God was still working his purpose. We can often look at our lives, if we're careful, and we can see that our lives play out the very same way that the Israelites, the Jewish people, that we come to a time of repentance and, and we realize what we've done is wrong. And then we go, but then we somehow slip back into our old ways. It's not by design, it's not by plan, but it happens. We, we drift, we forget God's commands. The great news is that we still can find refuge in him. That through this story, we can still see that God never let his people go. That they were allowed to come back and rejoice and to find refuge in him that same verse is still true for us today god still rejoices over us even if we turn back to our old ways god desired that they wouldn't fall away they wouldn't drift away and he desires out of your life that you would commit to him to turn to to repent of your sin to change your mind to change your behavior and go back into living the life he's called you to live but even if you do drift back into your old ways, you can still run to him and find 
him as your refuge, as your stronghold, because he rejoices over that. No matter how you are, no matter what situation you're in today, God loves you. God's love doesn't matter. God's love is not dependent upon how you feel or what you may think. God loves you no matter what. The joy of the Lord, the Lord is our strength. He is our refuge. He rejoices when we turn to him, when we re- repent of our sins. Again, I, I wish that chapter 13 was a little bit different. I, I wish that, that it was the people had returned to God and, and they never strayed away. But their story can often be ours. That we come back and, and, and we understand God's forgiveness and we understand his grace and his love, but we drift back into our old ways. And we may not think that God will welcome us back, but he will. We may not think that God loves us, but he does. There's no far, there's, there's no corner of the world you can go to that God will not find you. Maybe today you need to seek repentance in your life. Maybe, maybe you've been living in mourning or sadness and God said, don't live in that. Rejoice. Your sins have been forgiven. He finds refuge. He, find, he, he gives us refuge. We find strength in him to grow closer to him, to live for him all the days of your life. Maybe it's just time to refocus your heart, refocus your mind. Maybe you have drifted away and say, God, I, I have gone away from some of the things that I know to be true and, I, and I've drifted away from your word. Forgive me. I want to make a commitment to serve you. All across the room, if you would, close your eyes and, and bow your heads this morning. To draw closer to God, it, it, it often takes us to refocus our heart and refocus our minds. I said last week, if you were, if you were with us, that, that I really felt strongly that distractions were at place in, in, in many of our lives. And I, and I still feel that to be true. I feel that, that as a church, as a body, it's easy for us to be distracted. I pray today that through this, that you're not distracted by things, distracted by what's taking place later today or tomorrow, but just focus right here, right now. What, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What is the Holy Spirit ministering to you right now, maybe encouraging, you know what, there, you have drifted away? Or maybe you have been in mourning over your past and you just seem can't go, get past the old sin. Don't live in that sadness. Rejoice. Go to God. He is your strength. He is your refuge. He loves you. He cares about you. He rejoices when you turn back to him. It doesn't matter if this is the first time or the 99th time. Just turn to him. Maybe you've drifted away and say, God, I, I, yes, I've drifted away. I want to turn back to you. Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you have just, you've poured a lot into people, into projects or what God has laid on your heart. And you just look and go, God, what was the point? What was the point of all of that? Understand that God has a bigger plan. That God was still at work. There's a reason that, that Ezra, Nehemiah, the prophets, that all of it took place was ultimately for the coming Messiah. He has a plan. Your life may not look like there is no plan, there is no order to it, but God has a plan. I wish I could stand up here today and, 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 and tell you why things are happening. But it's not about knowing the why, it's knowing the who. That God is in control of it all. 
trust in him. Trust in this plan to continue on, that there is a reason, there is a purpose. I pray, God, for every person here today, that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would focus our minds on you. That if there is anyone here today that that just needs that encouragement, I pray that they would rejoice today and run to you and know that you're rejoicing over us, that we would turn from the error of our ways. That you would just ask for forgiveness. Just simply say those words, God, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know there there is nothing. There's no hoop I have to jump through. Just forgive me. I love you. I believe in you with all my heart. Forgive me. I've drifted away. Forgive me of my sins. Refocus my mind. Refocus my heart on you. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that just needs encouragement, I I pray this word speaks to them. That your plan is at work. Even though it may not make sense, you still have a plan and a purpose. May we walk in the full knowledge of that every moment of every single day. Again, Lord, I lift up all the ladies that are going to thrive this week. I pray, Holy Spirit, you minister to them in a special way. Encourage them. I pray against any distraction right now in the name of Jesus that would come against them from going. I pray that there is no financial obstacle, there is no relation issue, there's no job, whatever it may be, God, that all fade away right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, minister to every woman that is there, every speaker, every person leading worship. Protect them as they travel. Set their hearts on, may they go deeper in relation with you. Experience you in a a way that they never have before. Give them everything their hearts desire. And that's our prayer today as well. Again, God, I thank you for for the Torbett family. Bless them and all that they do. As they go and as they continue to minister and share what you've called them to do, bless them. May they continue to be the light to India that desperately needs it. Thank you again for this day. Thank you for this church. May we honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. If you've enjoyed this teaching, would you consider a gift to support the ministry of FLC? Visit mylighthouse.church forward slash give. Faith Lighthouse Church is located at 3409 Paul Buckman Highway in Plant City, Florida. Our weekly worship services are held on Sundays at 11 a.m. We also have various life groups and programs for all ages that meet throughout the week. We'd love for you to be a part of what God is doing in Plant City.